you're listening to The Daily American. Now here's your host, Dan the Man. We're back with Daily American. I just want to thank all the listeners around the world, everybody that's subscribed to this podcast, that has listened, left a review, rated it. I really appreciate it big time. Today we have with us Sergeant First Class Jason Cook. Jason, welcome. Hey, Dan. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm super looking forward to catching up with you. Yeah, and there's definitely uh, some some guys we serve with that are looking forward to to hearing this podcast and uh, are excited for it. So why don't you kick us off with your childhood and where you were born? Okay. So I was born in Los Angeles, California in the year of uh, 1978, a different time back then. My um, father was in the Navy. And he would have been fourth generation military um, at the time. So his dad was a Marine who did two tours in Vietnam, and then he joined the Navy. Um, So we grew up a little bit in California before moving to Corpus Christi, Texas. I was probably like five or six at the time. And then my parents got divorced. And when that happened, my dad married a Navy lady. So uh, my parents at that point were dual military uh, for quite a while. So we lived in Corpus Christi, Texas, which was a really neat experience. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed it. And then we moved from there to Okinawa, Japan. Um, And one of the neat things about living over there And I'm super appreciative. My parents was trying to broaden my worldview. So while we were there, uh, got to go to the Philippines, went to Hong Kong, uh, went to China. But back then, like when you went to visit China, you can only take a day trip. uh, And you had to go through Macau as a port of entry. Um, And after that, we moved back to the States where I did middle school in Beaufort, South Carolina. At that point, my mom got out of the military, um, and my dad was a chief in the Navy at that time. And she started going to school and having all my brothers and sisters. Uh, I don't know how appropriate it is to say it that way, but that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> got some more brothers and sisters, and she became a teacher. Uh, so we lived there for a few years, which um, if there's any Navy brats out there, is incredible because – more often than not, if your parents are in the Navy, you live by the beach. So I lived by the beach my whole life. That was pretty neat until I joined the Army. Um, and then our last move while living at home was up to Jacksonville, North Carolina to Camp Lejeune, um, just outside of Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I attended high school there and <clears throat> joined the Army. So Bouncing uh, around a lot. I'm sorry, bouncing around a lot as a as a kid was it you know obviously it's tough to maintain or develop like you know friendships long lasting friendships as a kid um being a military brat, but obviously there's some benefits to it too, like you know real world experience and opening your eyes like like your father and your parents wanted you to but would you say that it was tough to 
So I was kind of uh, oblivious to it. Like when I watched like the show, like the wonder years, I could see, you know, the, the kid and his best friend, like growing up together and getting all the trouble together. Um, but for me, like I never realized um, that I was kind of missing that. And I, I, I did get it. Like when I was in the army, um, like I'm still best friends to this day and godfather of, uh, my friend, like we were privates together. So I didn't have that piece. And I think I was pretty, pretty resilient. Um, and my parents did a good job of framing it so that it was like something exciting and new. So it was for me more of the, um, adventure of it. Um, and I didn't really think about like, uh, missing or losing, like when I moved and I never had the fears of like going to a new school or something like that. Um, which I think is more just confidence in myself and being secure with who I was. Um, which, uh, it's definitely helped me throughout my life, but I do know, um, that other kids kind of that went through that did, didn't adjust that well. And it was a struggle for them and I can appreciate or kind of empathize with what they were going through. But speaking for self, uh, it was never, never an issue for me. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So it seems like you had a strong mindset and, you know, your parents built that within you along with, um, the ability to, to, to look at everything is on like the positive, the positive side, which is carried you throughout your life, obviously. So that's pretty, that's pretty spectacular. I've been lucky. Um, I guess in my, the way I think about things, I just, um, I'm in control of myself and the choices I make and the way I want to feel. Um, so I never, never felt bad for myself or anything yeah. like that. It was just, for me, it was just exciting to, um, especially in the military, to be where I was and with the people I was with. I never. Doesn't sound like you've an ounce of the yeah. victim mentality that seems to be circling, uh, you know, society a lot. No, not at all. It, it kind of kills me when i look at and i was watching did you watch a show 1883 i just started it that's so funny i just bought i just purchased paramount plus and i'm on like episode so so one of the kind of underlying themes that runs throughout the the series there is how resilient um people had to be in those situations, like when you played Oregon trail and everybody died on a river crossing, like it really didn't click. But when I watched 1883, I was like, I get it now. Like everybody literally died <laughs> doing a river crossing, uh, trying to get these wagons and oxen and, uh, horses and stuff across a river. And I was like, Oh, like I would never in my wildest dreams have imagined like what it would take to like leave the city and go 2000 miles to the complete unknown. Like there's not another city there. There's nothing there. You have to make and create everything that you want at that point. 
you can't go to the store and pick up some jeans. You can't go get a saw. Like it's not there. It's just trees and wilderness and like everything wanting to eat you. Um, and so it's just a little disheartening as of lately. I don't feel that people necessarily uh, appreciate or value the opportunities they're given today. Um, even if like you had the worst childhood in history, um, the fact that you could, you know, join the military or just apply for grants and stuff like that to lift yourself up. Um, and people choose not to do those things. Uh, it's super sad. Um, cause I've known lots of people that have come from kind of, bad circumstances and stuff like that, but they made the choice had that aha moment. It's like, this is not going to be me. There's opportunity there. And they went and they, they grabbed it and got after it. So um, yeah, that part, it's interesting. You mentioned the kind of people feeling sad for themselves and yeah, it's definitely um, disheartening that in this world that we live in with all these amazing things and this opportunity that people would feel that way. Uh, when I grew up and I was little, the world was big. It would take you a day or two to kind of get halfway around it. Um, but now like I don't need to, I can get on Google earth and be halfway around the world with a pen drop, like in a matter of seconds <laughs> and walk in the streets in another city. Like, um, so, uh, it just all de- depends on your perspective, I guess, and how you think about things. Sure, I agree 100%. After high school, um, you went, did you go directly into the Army? I did. Uh, so I was a little out of sorts with my parents at that time. Um, and I just wanted to kind of be independent. Um, like my parents wouldn't let me grow a beard in high school and I like, I really wanted a beard. So, um, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to move out. I'm going to grow a beard. Um, uh, and so and the army said the I, same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. Uh, jokes on them though. I've got it now. Um, so I went and I saw my counselors. Um, they're like, well, you could graduate like half a year early. You just need like, you know, one more class. So I went to, uh, Mrs. Taylor, who, uh, I was kind of a slacker the second back half of high school. And, uh, so I took like a lot of art course and weightlifting, like anything I do that didn't really require a lot of effort. And so I was like, Hey, um, I need another credit. You know, can I be like a teacher's aide or something for you? And so she let me be a teacher's aide for one of her classes. And I got that last credit I needed. Um, and I, yeah, signed up, joined the army. I graduated early in January of 97. Uh, went to Cape Hatteras with my friends for three days, came back and I shipped out to Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, the school for wayward boys. <laughs> yeah. uh, so where was your first, uh, duty station at? Um, so after basic training, I went to Fort Drum, New York. So I did basic and then airborne school. Uh, 
and went to Fort Drum, New York. Um, and let's see, I got there, I think it was like summertime. So it was actually, it was really nice. Um, there were no mountains, even though I had a mountain tab on my uniform, uh, felt like a badass, but I was disappointed. There weren't any mountains there. Um, and then, uh, winter was absolutely off the chain there. Uh, I had no idea what lake effect snow was or snow for that matter. Really? I think I'd seen some Carolina snow, a little bit of frost on the ground, like growing up and that was the extent of it, but it would snow one or two inches an hour there. Uh, and it kind of looked like star Wars when they're going, uh, the light speed <laughs> just all the flurries like coming at you and stuff. Um, I remember one morning I woke up and uh, all the sergeants were running through the barracks telling us to go upstairs and jump out the windows of the second story to kind of dig out the uh, walkways and stuff because the doors were completely covered in snow. Um, so, and then we did a lot of ice breaking. It was a lot of good times. As a That's surprising. They're really. Region. Yeah, there aren't mountains up there. No mountains. Guys- it's all swamp, uh, kind of flat. Yeah, but the That's definitely uh, it's definitely one of the baddest units um, in the army. I do, I do remember it is. It's the most deployed division in the army. Um, this BCT concept that everybody kind of grasped onto after the war on terror took off. Uh, 10th Mountain Division was doing that uh, in the early 90s because their mission set at the time was Bosnia, Kosovo, Sinai. And so when they would take off and deploy these places, they had um, the field artillery guys embedded with them. They had uh, the medics embedded with them, the, you know, all the services support assets, the MI people and all this stuff were already embedded into uh, battalion sized units at that point. And so they would go through their training cycle, deployment cycle, and recovery, like, all together. Um, and they were the only ones doing it at the time. And the 10th Mountain Division was so uh, ahead of its time. Uh, remember the Embitter radio that we got back in, was say, 2006? I think. I don't, personally. No. It was like a black radio probably like 11 inches tall uh and you saw like platoon sergeants platoon leaders running around with them yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. 10th mountain division we had those in 1998 <laughs> we the entire division had m4s in 98 they had the infantry radios every infantry dismounted soldier had an icom radio um and they like had a boresight kit in the top of your rucksack uh, every infantry soldier. Uh, so if you lost your, your zero, whatever you could bore sight your weapon. Um, we had cars and stuff on the ranges that we went to, uh, way back when, and then to see all the other units kind of catch on, uh, kind of 2005 to 2010 was kind of neat to see because I was like, well, that's old. Like we were doing that like, oh, years ago. Uh, I remember when I first got to Fort Bliss and 
I was just like, what's going on around here? <laughs> Everything's like super old. Uh, like what were you guys spending your money on? And finally that stuff started coming in. Um, and they're like, you know, does anybody know how to use these? And I was like, I think I remember how to use it. Uh, so it was kind of neat to see everybody kind of change and to understand that, you know, where I was at the time was a really good place to be. And I learned a lot there that helped me, uh, later on in my career, other places. How many, um, how many deployment deployments total did you do? I did, uh, Bosnia, Kosovo, Sinai, and three tours to Iraq and a long tour to Germany. Gotcha. That's uh, enough for a lifetime, it sounds like. Um, and when did you get out? 20, 20 years of service you, you did, and when did you get out? I got out in uh, 2016. And uh, I was... Earlier before the interview, uh, we were talking. Um, it's actually in twenty years and eight days, and they don't they don't tell you about the extra days. So I remember when my recruiter was sitting on my couch at my parents' house in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and he's like, "You know, you do twenty years and you get all this stuff." And I was like, "That's great." So um, I was like in the army. I think at like eleven years, I was like, "Well, I've had enough. I want to get out." And so. Uh, Went to the reading list. My guy's like, what do I need to do to get out? And he's like, we can't. I was like, what are you talking about, man? And I think it was Sergeant Brewman at the time or something like that. And he's like, well, you made E7 and you're over 10 years. So you're uh, indefinite. And I was like, what does indefinite mean? Tell me more about this because I don't remember anybody saying a word (laughs) (laughs) when I was getting penned. He's like, yeah, well, they don't tell you, but you're indefinite. You have to stay to 20 and so all right. So I stayed at 20 and I go and submit my packet and I put on my packet um, that I wanted out January 22nd because I entered January 23rd. And so I, I submitted it to my battalion at the time and S1 kicked it back and they're like, no, it's got to be at the end of the month. I'm like, no, dude. I was like, this, this staff sergeant sat on my couch. 20 years ago and told me if I did 20 years, like I would get like TRICARE for life. Um, I was like, that would be on a 22nd. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Everybody gets out at the end of the month. So I was, uh, I was a little hot and I went back and my boss is like, don't worry about it. He's like, you can just go home. <laughs> Cause I was really had my mindset on getting out on a 22nd. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I remember I uh, woke up, I did PT, and then uh, showered, changed into my uniform the last time, and went and signed out, and it was a wrap. Um, what an absolutely incredible experience, though. So. Yeah, it seemed, it, you know, it seems like just hearing, I, I don't know, this could just be my perception, but just hearing you talk, it seems like you gained so much uh knowledge that is going to be with you for the rest of your life with that being said i think this is a good a good place to to hold i hope you guys tune in next week for for part two of this two-part special with jason cook and next week we'll be talking about his transition outside of the military appreciate it jason and thank you thank you dan for having me it's great to talk to you again absolutely